We're in the book of Second Peter, starting in verse three. Peter's been talking to a people under unbelievable pressure. And this is what he says to them. His divine power, that is Christ's, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this reason, for this very reason, Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. May God bless the reading of His Word. You may be seated. Well, it's uh, just past springtime, but I have to tell you guys, you'll forgive me, my lawn looks dynamite this spring. It's lush, it's green. Even the backyard, in places you, we don't normally have grass, is lush and green. And uh, to be sure, uh, it's gotten there through a process. Uh, I've worked on it since last fall. I aerated last fall, fertilized, limed, seeded. I did a little more fertilizing and even put down weed killer. And yes, this spring I've even taken extra time to do the hand weeding, pulling out weeds from the beds as well as from uh, around the yard. And so uh, it looks really good, not to mention... My extraordinary wife has added all kinds of nice flowers around the yard so that it looks amazing with all the work that's been put into it. And of course, lest I not give credit to the Lord, it's been a nice rainy spring. So the rain has come and made everything look so green. Man, my yard looks good right now. It is a pleasure to see that. I have to tell you guys, my yard hasn't always looked that way. In fact, some years I haven't really had the time to prepare the yard well, and it, as a result, it ended up look, looking pretty bad. And there were other times as well that, um, that it wouldn't rain. It would be kind of a dry spring, and the result would, was that the yard would look even worse. There would be these bare spots, and uh, there would even be sections that had a lot of weeds growing in it. It was a shabby look. Well, today in 2 Peter 1, the Apostle Peter speaks to the church in the first century, a church that was supposed to, by God's grace and in the Holy Spirit, look like a lush green yard, but was actually looking pretty shabby, pretty shabby in their walks with the Lord. Now, you've got to know about these people that there's a reason why they look pretty shabby. They were a people under pressure. They were being challenged by the culture and the world around them, even by their neighbors who were resisting their Christian faith and their walk. They were being pressured to conform and be a certain way according to the culture. And as a result, God's people found themselves getting weary 
of the resistance and the fight. They found themselves looking for the easier life, if you will, amidst the challenge. And so what they were doing is they were taking spiritual shortcuts. They weren't fighting, they were escaping the pain. And they did it in any way they could, as we'll see later on throughout the book of Second Peter. Bare spots and weeds were showing up in their lives. And they were showing up in the life of the whole church as well. They were increasingly, as a result, ineffective. They were unfruitful in their walks with the Lord. And because Christianity was having less and less of an impact in their lives, the result was they as Christians were having less and less of an impact in other people's lives, the culture, you name it. They were having less impact in the world. Peter knew this wasn't the way it was supposed to be, even for Christians, because God has made us and he has, dare I say, redeemed us to have an impact for Christ in our world today and ultimately in eternal matters. So Peter writes these words today to encourage the beat up, burnt out and bedraggled church of Asia Minor and Second Peter. And he really does it to motivate and in to encourage Christians on how God makes us more effective, more fruitful, even when we're under pressure from the culture around. So we come to 2 Peter 1 then as a result with three major questions in our text. And here are the three major questions we're going to deal with today. What is God up to? What has He been up to in our lives as Christians? Second, what should we do about what God is up to? And third, what kind of life does God intend us to live as a result of His work in our lives and our hearts in Christ? Well, first, let's remember what we learned from last week, a quick review of what God has been up to with Christians under pressure. Remember the Christians uh, last week, learned, uh, we learned that the Second Peter, uh, here and early in Second Peter, these Asia Minor Christians didn't understand that God was generous to them. And He had given them grace, and He had granted them two particular blessings in verses 3 and 4. In verse 3, God had granted them all things. All things. All things for life and godliness. In other words, God had given them everything they could possibly need to live in this life for Christ. I know that's hard for many of us to believe, even when times are hard and the pressure's on, but that's what he says. We have everything we need to live for Christ, even under pressure. The second incredible blessing that God has granted in His grace to us is in verse 4 where Peter says that God has graciously granted to us His precious and very great promises. Oh man, that's good stuff. His precious and very great promises. What he's saying there is we can dare to look into the future with God's promise and word and have hope that God will be there waiting for us with His word and His promise which He is committed to carrying out. He will do that in His time. Oh, that's a tough one to take. But that's what He does with His promise. He says, I will give you this. It's coming your way. But you got to wait on me. More of that in a second. 
God's intended result of these two incredible blessings for us comes in verse 4 of our text. He says, so that you may become partakers of the divine nature. This is huge. This is what God is after in our lives as he's working with these two major and incredible blessings. He is trying to form us as sharers in his own nature. Now, let me be clear. As we said last week, this does not mean that, like the Mormons say, we grow and somehow become gods. Nor does it mean, like that movie Avatar, we are somehow absorbed into God like uh, people were absorbed or the avatars were absorbed into the tree at the end of the movie. That's uh, what is basically Hinduism. Now, what he's saying is that we are, have this unique opportunity in God's purpose that we will actually reflect His glory. We will actually reflect His character and His beauty in His glory. God is love. God is good. He is patient. He is giving. He perseveres God's sacrifices to give to us. And in the same way, we are called to start living that way to reflect as redeemed image bearers what God intended in our lives. All these are amazing blessings that God has put in our life. He has given you a larger purpose to be holy as He is holy. But there is another way that we can be like Christ under pressure. And that's we can make an impact. We can make an impact in the world. Everyone in this room, everybody here, has an impulse to make an impact in the world. Everyone here on some level wants to make a difference in some way. It could be small, it could be big, whatever that is, we all have that bent in our hearts. And that's because God created us to have that bent. He created us to make an impact and to be fruitful in the world, as he says in Genesis 1. The problem with impact, though, in our lives is that sin gets in the way. Sin either inhibits impact in our lives or it actually redefines what impact can be. And sometimes it so redefines what impact can be that we are prone as people, even as sinners, to focus on trivial things. Trivial things. In fact, we so focus on trivial things that our lives become trivial and have meaning, uh, really effectively little impact. Jesus came into our world with an intent of impact to rescue us for impact. Jesus came in our world so that we might actually be redeemed, delivered to a different kind of life. The end of verse 4 even says this, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of a sinful desire, He came to change our hearts and our desires from the inside out so that through the power of the Spirit we'd be delivered and we would actually live a very different life. This is important. This is very important. We often say that Jesus saved us from hell. Jesus saved us from sin, Satan, and the world, our threefold enemies. But here he's saying he also saved us for an impactful life. 
doing things that would even last forever. As Christians, in other words, we are called to a life of living for eternal things. Things built to last, as I believe it was Jim Collins wrote in one of his books. A life built to last has an eternal impact. But here's the issue. Even as Christians, we get bogged down in hardship, frustration, even a pressurized world calling us to conformity, and the result is we can end up settling for trivial things. We live in this strange place where God promises that we can have abundant life, but we often find ourselves languishing under the pressure like the first century Christians did. God, as a result, gave us these promises and grace, but we still feel ineffective and unfruitful. Now, here's the question for us all. What's going to bridge the gap? between the trivial life that our world calls us to to focus on little things to an impactful life that focuses on things that matter forever? Well, the answer lies in another question. What are we supposed to do about living an impactful life while experiencing the free grace of God in our lives? We'll look at verses 5-7. through seven. Peter says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. You know what Peter's doing here? He's kind of like a great athletic coach. He is exhorting the people of God in that first century, and dare I say, us here today, to make every effort to labor hard for the things of God in our lives. This little Greek set of words for, for um, making every effort is a, is a way that it really is talking about bringing about things so there is a change or return. God invests in us. He wants a return from us. He's calling us to be intentional, to... Uh, take the actual gifts that God has given us and use them for larger purposes beyond ourselves. Now, the opposite, of course, uh, the opposite way to say this kind of make every effort is don't be a passive religious consumer where you take in all, oh, give me that feeding, whatever that is, give me that service, give me that church, give me that religion, when you miss the larger point of why God's giving you grace. He's saying in, a, in another negative way, don't sit around and bank on the fact that you're living with that insurance policy to heaven. So sit back and enjoy. Yeehaw! God didn't redeem you for that. He redeemed you to move it, to move it and grow because He gave you His grace. And let me be absolutely clear, and David alluded to this earlier, as also in the last song we sang, we are never, ever, ever justified in the courtroom of God by our impact or our works. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in the person and work of Christ alone. But don't miss this too. Faith without works is dead. 
God saved you for something. For a life. Not just from eternal wrath, but for a life that has impact in the world. And the way Peter couches it here in this text is in the language of sanctification. That is, that holy growth in Christ that occurs whenever we follow Him. Now, here's how sanctification works. And this is what we know from Scripture. Are you ready? God works, and we work. It's synergistic. That's the fancy word which means multiple workers. Working with is another way to say it. And we work, and God works, in the Holy Spirit. In fact, Philippians 2 holds this tension in place when it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For God is at work in you to will and to do for His good pleasure. You see, God is working. He's the initiator working in our hearts through His Word and through the Holy Spirit, even through the body in some ways, urging us on to an impactful life. We respond by working at what we're, we're doing for Christ. Now, why am I emphasizing this? Why is this a big deal? Well, because when you're under pressure to conform to the world, it's easy to capitulate and call it Christian freedom. Or you can go religiously passive by saying, let go and let God. Now, let me be clear. Christian freedom is a very real thing. We are free in Christ and we're not bound by certain rules that even show up in church sometimes because they're not biblical rules, if you will. Also, it's a good idea to surrender to God very regularly by faith. <laughs> but Jesus, or rather Peter here, is making it really clear that if you're a professing Christian, if you call yourself a follower of Christ, you have signed up to work. Make every effort towards working in your relationship with the Lord. Let me put it this way. Being a Christian is a tough job. Not just anybody can do it. If you are a Christian, say, I follow Jesus, you have signed up to be among a few good men and women, your spiritual Marines. Think of it this way. You have signed up for a lifetime of spiritual P90X in your life. you are going to be on that program with Jesus. I remember one of my disciples in high school said he had a friend in college and um, he talked about, uh, he was talking with his friend about how hard the Christian life could be sometimes. Really hard, sometimes discouraging, difficult, especially when you're getting external resistance to trying to be actually more holy. And uh, his friend said an interesting thing. His friend said this. His friend said, you know, if the Christian faith is hard, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Now, I don't know where that guy is with Jesus today. I have no idea. But I can tell you this. Following Christ will challenge every aspect of who you are. And here's why. Jesus wants to be Lord of all. And He's going to challenge every aspect of your life. Every allegiance you have with relationships, in marriage, in money, in uh, parenting, at your job, in your ethics... You name it, everything. 
slowly but surely comes under the Lordship of Jesus. He wants to be number one in every choice we make. And He calls us to give Him our best effort in following Him. Now, there is a tremendous result that comes out of this. A tremendous result of really giving our effort towards following Jesus and making Him the center of our lives. And it shows up with a clarifying question that we have to ask about this whole business of sharing in the divine nature and even making every effort. What does that look like? What does it look like to make every effort for Jesus and follow Him? Well, uh, Peter lays it out here in our verses by giving a list. You see this amazing list of how we live for Christ? He says, uh, add to, uh, supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge, self-control. He goes on. It's a pretty extraordinary list. Now, Christianity is no formula. It's always fundamentally a relationship. But this right here is the closest thing to kind of a how-to in the New Testament on growing in Jesus. We call it, if you will, the, the golden chain of Christian growth. And Peter tells us what a repeating cycle, a feedback loop, for those of you engineering types, what Christian growth would look like. And he says we should work at supplementing, supplying our walk with God on eight qualities in the Christian life. These eight qualities are absolutely striking if you look at them. Because in our culture, if we want to grow, self-improve, things like that, well, we are told to improve ourselves with this technique or that book, spending money on this religious experience or that form of escape. But Peter gives us eight spiritual qualities that we don't talk about a lot, even in church sometimes, with regards to how we grow in our walks with Jesus. And and here are the eight qualities that build on each other, one by one, as he talks about supplementing, even adding to one another. And the fundamental one begins with faith. You see that in our text? Number one, he says, add to your faith. Faith is the starting point. Now, what is faith? Is faith this kind of nebulous thing, just have faith? Is it just like, you just got to believe? No, no, no. When the Bible talks about faith, it's talking about faith in Christ. What he's saying is start with Jesus. Start with an engaged relationship with Christ, learning of Him, who He is and what He's about and how He works. Faith means not uh, giving in to what we believe about ourselves, which is, the pro which is really the reigning paradigm of American culture. What can I do to make myself better? No, no. This is improvement in a spiritual way by starting with Jesus because I know I'm not enough. That's what he's after in this text. Faith in Christ is the active pursuit of Jesus, following him in every circumstance, following him even when you struggle with sin, following him when the pressure's on by faith. Following Him because He is your only Savior. Peter's saying you need to go to Christ with an utter loyalty and your highest allegiance in every circumstance. 
And the gospel is when faced with hard times, look at what Jesus himself did. He went to the Father and he stayed relationally connected to the Father whenever he was in trouble, whenever he was in pain and facing incredible things. Let me ask you, and this is a big question, when you are disappointed, when life not only doesn't go your way, but when life goes the opposite of what you expect it to or want it to, how do you respond? Where's the first place you go to in your heart? Do you go to despair? Do you go to demandingness? Do you go to my favorite state to visit? Denial. That'll tell you a lot about what you really believe when things are hard, when the pressure's on. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden. I will give you rest even in the midst of your pain and your, and your pressure and the hardship of your life. Come to me first. Second quality that Peter talks about is that of virtue. Virtue must be added to faith. When, what Peter means is that we must follow Christ and then pursue a life of excellence. Holy actions. The good. Jesus himself pursued this life of good. It goes to the next step. The third quality is, the, is that of uh, adding to faith and virtue is that of knowledge. This, of course, is knowing the Lord personally. We talked about this last week. This whole book is shot through with knowing God. But you know what's interesting about this knowing? It comes after a virtuous life. You know what he's saying here? He's saying that unlike the education system in our time that says if you just educate people, they will respond and they will do the right thing. The Bible says something very different. If you just trust Christ and you act in obedience in a virtuous good life with him, you will know him even more. That's kind of how Christianity works. When you obey, then you know. When you obey, you get to know God in deeper, bigger, richer ways. That's the way Peter is calling us to live. The fourth quality in our life is to, is to add, that, uh, add self-control as a quality. This is discipline. Discipline as a fruit of the Spirit in particular. And uh, here's why Peter says di discipline, even self-control, because here's what was happening. The people under pressure in Asia Minor were being told by false teachers, you should go and self-medicate. Sex, uh, uh, food, work. In our time, it might be internet. It might be entertainment. Now listen, all these things inherently are good, but you can turn them into idols. And Peter's saying you have to learn how to say no in order to say yes to Christ and follow Him in your Christian growth. The fifth quality is steadfastness. We'll talk more about this as it's coming along because I'm short on time. But this is patience. The ability to stay the course with Jesus even when the world is pushing you to respond in self-medication. Sixth is godliness. We are made to live in God's image. We are redeemed to reflect the wonders and beauty of Christ, the glory of Christ in our character. That's the next key step in how we grow in Christ. 
the seventh quality, expands to community. Now, this is interesting. He goes to brotherly affection. After all these things that seem to be individually based, though they may be in relationship to other people, he gets real specific. He says brotherly affection or Philadelphia is the Greek. Yeah, that's where we get the name for the city of Philadelphia. What he's talking about there is that when you are growing in Christ, suddenly you become more aware of other people and how you might engage them in relationship. How you might actually, under pressure and in pain, believe it or not, give to other people. Now, we live in a world where I'm in pain, I'm hurting, stay away from me, I need to hide and have my space. Now, there's a place for that at some points, but I'll tell you this. Peter is calling us to a different life where we actually come out of that cocoon and give in love to people. That's the vision he has for Christian growth here. Eighth and finally, though, after you get connected to other people in love, there is one last thing, and it's love. And, of course, the word there is agape. That's the Greek word usually used for divine love. Divine love is giving love. It's sacrificial love. It's saying, in the end, I'll put others and a supremely Christ himself above me in my walk in this circumstance in life. These are the eight qualities that we're going to return to in coming weeks. It is the golden chain of Christian growth. And Peter is saying to the church and to us, hey, you all need to work on those things. You all need to work on these things because this isn't what we're normally told to work on, to grow. God is working in you. You need to go and work on these. And the last question to this would be this, why? Why would you want to work on these things? Well, in verse 8, he tells us, for if you actually make these a part of who you are, if you increase them and keep growing in them, in virtuous, steadfast, godly love, you will be effective. You'll be fruitful. Do you want to make an impact in the world for Jesus? Follow the road of the golden chain. Do you want to make a difference for Christ? You can't bypass this stuff. This is the, the, the back stuff that makes it happen for you to grow. Three quick notes on this. Just notice... None of these qualities are natural to us. None. The Holy Spirit must start within us and form within us with word and prayer what's going on here. Second, all of these build on each other in a kind of feedback loop. They build and they come right back around. If you want to grow, you'll come back to these again and again and expand them in your life. And third, the process begins with faith, but it ends with love. David read it earlier. The goal of the Christian faith in our regular living and what we want to do is become lovers. And this right here is how God makes us lovers. You want to love your wife better, your kids better, even your non-Christian friends, you want to work, uh, even the difficult person at work you're having a hard time with, follow the golden chain. Let God expose your heart as He shows you how you can be a better lover. Our job, now God's job, is to make us into a lush green yard of love. Our job is to make every effort to foster that, to work with Him. So get to work in the yard of your soul and watch God get the glory. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, we want to be a fruitful people. And we pray, Lord, that today You would make us fruitful. We want to be a people who are faithful to You, but that does not come naturally. We live in a world that's increasingly putting the pressure on, be it in our families, be it in our, our, uh, our workplaces, be it in the public square. We want to make a difference. Help us to walk and to go along with the golden chain, Lord. You call us to a different life. A life of the subtle and the beautiful that actually changes us because Your Spirit's at work. Oh Lord, help us to work out our salvation because You are at work in us to will and to do according to Your good pleasure. In Christ alone we pray. Amen.